Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And uh, this night tonight is the night that I get to connect with you directly. And what that means is um, I've been doing er, this radio show for, for a little bit now, and I'm your host, Dr. Pat Basili. This is our Street Smart Spirituality Hour. And this is a time where we get to step out of the box and really take a look at what it means to be spiritual and street smart. And it may sound like a little oxymoron, maybe if you look at that in terms of our lives, but not at all. And so what I want to say is this, that we do a show right here every week about how you can, you, me, your friends, your family, how each and every one of us can take a look at where we are right now in our lives and flip a switch at some level, some place that enables us to step freely out into the world of possibilities. I'm going to talk a little bit about this uh, in a few minutes. And um, we are hoping to have with us Mark Lynch. Uh, he has written a book that is called Walk With Me, and you'll know a little bit about that when he comes on. Uh, but until then, I wanted to invite you. I wanted to invite you all to spend some time one-on-one with me. And what I mean by that is we've done a lot of radio in the years, and many of you have listened. And I rarely get the opportunity to connect with you directly. For many of you, you know um, my open mic shows. You've listened to me on the website. And today, I want to make it really simple. I'm opening up the phone lines for those of you out there that are stuck at some place in your life and would like a little help getting there. And so this is a kind of a rare opportunity for me. I'm usually, I'm usually chatting with guests. Uh, and by the way, I've also just um, heard that we probably are on a line with Mark Lynch. Mark, are you there? Do we have a caller on the line? Hello. Hi, who am I speaking with? Uh, this is Mark Lynch. Hey, Mark. You're live with on the Dr. Pat Show. How are you? I'm very good, Dr. Pat. How are you? I'm good. Thank um, you for having me on the show. Uh, this is a great opportunity. I, I was just talking to our listeners and letting them know that, you know, there is a, a wonderful way for everyone out there to connect and also to reflect on their lives and look at where we are. And I invited everyone out there. Um, to take advantage of this fabulous toll-free number we have. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show because part of what we're going to talk about is Mark's journey. The other part of what we're going to talk about is your journey and how the two intersect, as well as my journey and what this all means. I want to make sure that you have some information. We've got um, about, you know, over a 1,000 shows ready for you to listen to on the website. Uh, and that is www.thedrpatshow.com, T-H-E-D-R-patshow.com. And there's lots of for you to find out about. And if you miss any part of this interview, you'll be able to find it up there as well. Let me tell you about my guest today, Mark Lynch. As I said before, Mark has written a book called Walk With Me. But that's not always been the story. He earned his B.S. from Boston State College He continued his education, master's degree in teaching education. His focus was on the math, the scientist, fabulous teacher. And then one day stopped at a red light, and I know many of you, we could use this for a metaphor, actually, 
But one day, uh, Mark and his family were stopped at a red light when a drunk driver slammed into their car. Now, his wife received minor injuries, and their young daughter was miraculously unharmed. But that was not the case. That was not the case with Mark. And so, you know, just to name a few other things, dislocated his neck in four places, bending his spinal cord, and complications from the accident and subsequent surgeries led to Mark's death after, after the accident. And so today's show is to talk about that experience and to understand what that means and uh, to have you know about what that, that means, not just from a metaphorical point of view, but from actually going through the experience that Mark went through. Mark, again, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Pat. You know, and I'm, I'm just giving a snippet of your story and just a touching on the book. And I hope I represented you, you right. I mean... You did great. That accident, I mean, how often do you reflect back on that day? You, you can't help but reflect back because according to all the doctors I went, and I went to at least a half a dozen doctors because I wasn't satisfied with just getting one opinion because I had severely dislocated my neck in four places. And um, according to the doctors, I should have been, if not dead, at least paralyzed from C2 down because that's where I had uh, broken the uh, vertebrae. And just just living my life and looking at them and saying, hey, well, I'm standing here talking to you. How can this be possible? I mean, this is, you know, it was just another miracle. But they couldn't fuse it. They couldn't help me. They could put me in a neck brace, but they said that they were afraid to even go anywhere near fusing it or trying to straighten it out at that time because they said that most likely I would either be, um, I would even either not survive the operation or be um, permanently damaged from C2 down and I wouldn't even be able to breathe on my own. So they uh, opted not to do it and I had an unbelievable life because of it. Well, I mean, you know, what we're talking about here is something that happens to us in life that, you know, we can look at it as this is really a showstopper. It's going to stop me from whatever it is I'm meant to do here. And at the same time, uh, it puts us into the world of wondering, you know, wondering, Mark, um, there's a bigger picture than my 9-to-5 teaching job or, you know, uh, or the next movie that I'm going to go see. I mean, and so the question, yeah, the question that I think that, I, that I'd like to ask you about this is, you know, what was Mark Lynch's life before the day at that stop sign? Uh, before that day, I was uh, more of a self-centered person than I wasn't any kind of a person that would think beyond the next day. Um, it was a what's-in-it-for-me what, what type guy, uh, did all the wrong things that, uh, a guy shouldn't do. I was a wild teenager growing up on the streets of Boston. So when that happened, you do have a wake-up call. And I do realize how fragile we really are. It did change my life. And I was told by the doctors after that accident that in time, I would develop bone spurs or bone material in between all the vertebrae. That would eventually uh, cause havoc with my spinal cord, which it did. It, it got to a point where the bone spurs were not only encroaching on the spinal cord, but they penetrated it. And I had about one-third the use of the spinal cord uh, after this. 
So this happened about three years ago when I knew uh, I was in really, really severe pain. I only was sleeping maybe an hour a night of that. And I knew I had to go in and have this taken care of. And I was very afraid of it because my wife felt that, uh, that I probably wasn't going to recover from this kind of an, uh, an operation. Well, it's a scary thing. It was a scary thing. Yeah. And I wasn't sure, but um, I did uh, seek out one of Boston's finest and their finest uh, surgeon in their finest ho uh, hospital. It's world-renowned. I did go in. Uh, they did take out four of the vertebrae of my, out of my neck. They had to grind down the interior of the vertebrae and take out all the bone spur and bone material that had grown there. They had to pull out a lot of the bone spurs out of my spinal cord. They had to try to repair and decompress a lot of the nerves and fix whatever nerve damage they could. And when I woke up, um, I could move. I was, uh, I had been in pain for almost uh, 30 years, 25 years, and now I was out of pain. It was great. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. And nothing really extreme uh, had really happened. And then um, a few days later, they sent me home. And when I went home, I was home for about three days. Uh, I noticed they had, when they had taken the vertebrae out of my neck, they also had to take a piece of bone out of my hip to uh, put the vertebrae back and fuse it together. And then they covered that with a titanium plate and screwed that into my neck to hold the vertebrae in place. When I was home after a few days, I noticed uh, where they had taken the vertebrae uh, excuse me, the bone uh, out of my hip. Around that site, there was a, a, a red rash, and it had spread over the whole top portion of my leg and most of my stomach, and it was spreading rapidly. I had 106 temperature, and I was having a very difficult time breathing. My wife was very afraid, and she called the hospital, and they told them that they told her to rush me in. And uh, when I got in there, um. I guess they, they sent me to the emergency room, and uh, I, the way I looked at it, um, I, I thought they were going to operate right away, but they found out that I had had a milkshake earlier, and they wanted to wait until the um, milkshake had, I guess, passed a certain period of time so that the milkshake didn't cause me to uh, uh, get sick over the anesthesia that they were going to have to perform. Exactly. But I found out that what the hip, hip site was was the flesh-eating disease and um, that they would have to reopen that site. But before they could, a doctor had come in to talk to me, and I was trying to tell him that my throat was closing. But I was looking at this doctor and noticing how young he was. And I can't believe how young they're making the doctors and the police and everything. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, Doogie Hauser. And I said, this guy's the guy that's going to operate on me, this kid. And I just said to him, I said, did your mother know that you come in here to skip school to play doctor? <laughs> he, he didn't think it was funny. He turned his back to me. And at that moment, um, I started fading because my throat closed completely. And I noticed I couldn't breathe. And when you suffocate to death, it hurts. And I felt myself going unconscious. And the next thing I know, um, I was outside my body. And I thought that was the most fascinating and unbelievable thing and uh, it wasn't a hallucination they hadn't given me any anesthesia and I wasn't on any drugs and I looked and I saw that you know my body was there and he still hadn't turned around and I noticed time was going by and I tried to reach out to touch him 
to get him to get his attention to get him to turn around and the only thing that happened was my hand went through him and I thought that was kind of weird <laughs> but it feels really good being out of your body because you notice the weight difference is unbelievable and you uh, still can reason and you still have your memories and you can think and I'm beginning to worry because he hasn't turned around so we finally did realized the situation and hit the panic button the doctors tried everything and anything and I watched them over the it, it, to me, it felt like an eternity, but I watched him try everything and anything to get me breathing again because I hadn't, uh, I wasn't breathing. And I watched exactly every procedure that they did to me, and I have all the scars to prove it. And the next thing I noticed was a uh, was a was a doctor with a drill, and it, it, it sort of resembled what you'd see somebody that's going to bore a hole in a in a wall, and uh-huh. he came in and. The next thing I know, um, I floated to this dark, it was like a void. It was like this big black cavern or something. And there was this huge head of a being above me. And this hideous, monstrous being that was about the same size as me to my right. But the head was gigantic. And I felt um, very alone, very afraid, cold, scared. I did not look up. Uh, at the being that was looking down at me, and I sure wasn't going to stare at the guy uh, of the thing or whatever it was that was to my right. I don't know if the thing to my right was, I, I still ponder it to this day. I don't know if it was the angel of death, it was Satan. I don't know who it was, the Grim Reaper. And as far as the being above me, I truly believe that was God the Father that um, people talk about and I believe. And the uh, being was the two beings were sort of communicating between each other, as I was just waiting there, wondering, you know, what was going to be done with me. And it, I could feel that they were talking about me, and I was a subject of their conversation. I didn't know on the outside that I had been in a coma for three days, and the doctors had pretty much given up hope, um, and they were more thinking in terms of harvesting organs. Whereas my wife uh, refused to listen to it, she wouldn't hear any of it, and um, they explained to her, well, let me, let me break it down for you. The man's been, according to which doctor or nurse was telling the story, uh, been without oxygen anywhere from 8 to 20 minutes, and how they explained it is after 3, you're, you're basically a vegetable. Right. And um, they said that uh, I had taken a seizure. I had pneumonia, I had thrush, I had the flesh-eating disease, and um, uh, this was all uh, added to the complications that I had uh, with my throat and with my neck surgery. So they said that, you know, the chances of him coming out of this uh, are very, very, very slim if there's any chance at all. And this is what they were stressing to her. And again, she wouldn't listen, and she said, as far as him not having a mind, he said he lost his mind a long time ago, so I know that there's nothing going to be wrong with his mind. And uh, the doctors, you know, just looked at him and smiled, but they they didn't give him much hope. And then three days later, uh, um, I sat up, and this was in the serious intensive care unit where uh, the people, the person on my left and my right, had both died during this time. And everybody that, I guess, is in this unit, just about everyone dies. And um, when I sat up, uh, I had, you know, tubes coming out of every part of me and uh, wires and everything else. And 
when I did sit up, I, you know, I noticed I had this thing in my throat and I, I couldn't talk and I was motioning for something to write, which, first of all, the doctors were amazed that I actually just sat up. It was like, they were looking at me like Lazarus has just risen from the dead or, you know, this guy is something really weird here going on. They, you know, scurried around to, to, to get me something to write and I, just wrote down, get me out of here, what happened? You know, and that's, that's basically all I wrote, wrote down. And they were amazed that I was able to think. And um, according to the doctors, they said that nobody's ever, you know, ever walked out of that out of that room on their own And since uh, it's been, you know, since they've had it. So they were kind of amazed at that. Um, I don't know what decision was made or where or whatever, and I didn't feel uh, that I was sent back, I just woke up, and it wasn't a dream, because uh, in a couple of days uh, after that, they had put me in a room, and the doctor that was in there, that I'll call him Doogie Halda, uh, he came in and tried to give my wife the uh, interpretation, or his interpretation, of what went on in the, in the room, and uh, as he was talking to her, I noticed he was giving her a real milk-down version, a real watered-down version, and I was getting furious listening to him. So I threw something at him and uh, told my wife to give me something to write, and I wrote on there that, you know, no, that's not what happened. And I wrote exactly everything that I saw, you know, and how they tried putting me. First they tried the thing out of my throat, and they couldn't get through. Then they tried the thing to my nose, and all like it was blood. Then they tried uh, 12 vertical um, slashes to try to get a, a trait tube in, and they couldn't do it. They were unsuccessful. And I told them what color his outfit was on, what his, what his socks were that day, where the other doctors were, who they were. And like he explained to my wife, there's no way that I could have possibly known that unless I was outside my body from the vantage point that I was at. So, you know, you can say that you know, maybe this was a dream, an hallucination. I wouldn't have known that. That's one. Number two, I shouldn't be here after that experience. They well, I would say not. It. They can't explain it. So, and I didn't know why I was sent back. And I didn't know until a few weeks later. Because a few weeks went by and they weren't able to feed me anything by, by my mouth because they, uh, trach tube, it was an oversized tube, was in my throat. And they had to feed me by a pick line, which is a an intravenous line that's um, basically put through your arm, and it snaked through your major artery into your heart, and one is snaked into your stomach. And they fed me something that looks like, um, oh, I guess evaporated milk with vitamins in it, and they had me on this medicine called vancomycin. They had to reopen my hip wound, clean out most of the dead tissue, put a wick in and uh, try to uh, kill the fleshing disease because it had gotten into my, into my bones. And um, m- what I was told was if you didn't get this, this particular disease, it's fatal within 24 hours, and I w- it was miraculous that they were even able to stop it. But they used this stuff called vancomycin, mm-hmm. which is like the super, super atom bomb of uh, penicillin or antibiotic, and I was on it for another six months. I had to take it home with me and so forth. But it was about two or three weeks later that uh, the doctors came in and with the nurse and explained to me that they had to take um, this larger trach, those tube out of my throat, and put in a regular trach 
and that my throat should have been healed enough or the swelling had gone down enough that they could put this in. The tube was held in with a balloon that they had inserted in my throat that they blow up, and it basically holds your throat open, and it holds this tube in place. They had to deflate that balloon and pull the balloon and the trach of the tube out and at the same time, mm-hmm. after they did that, put the other one in, put the regular size face in. Well, you, My, know, but, you know, Mark, part of this, in, in, and I can't help but thinking about this, it, when, I, when I hear your story and I hear um, the experience you've just described, mm-hmm. um, I can't help but stop and think that there are stories about... Um, similar stories from so many people about what you're talking about and recovering Mm -hmm. and you know and when we come back from an experience like this and and we get back into the to the everyday regular world you know this idea of healing I mean all of this work that people were doing on your physical body I don't know for me it it sounds like it was so far removed from the depth and the breadth of what you experienced it, it, in dying. Yeah, I can only put it in mild terms because most people will pass out on the radio if we get into the into the gory details. So you're right, exactly. It has. I'm just touching the subject lightly, and it has a lot. Deeper ramifications um, uh, with my family, yeah. with my children. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's it. They looked at it as their grandfather, their father, their husband was passing away. Was you know their friend, and they couldn't deal with it. Um, um, even my son, like, couldn't come in and look at me. Even when I when I came back, he couldn't come in the room without just staring at it, just crying and crying because he couldn't believe that. I had come back, but this isn't even the best part of the story yet that it gets better. When they had come in and they took that tube out of my throat and they took the balloon out, my throat closed completely. The doctor had said before he did it that sometimes things happen, and he said, but we won't talk about them because they are most likely not going to happen now. Of course, he was dead wrong. As soon as he pulled it out, my throat closed. And this time, my throat closed, and I could feel it all over again, but it was ten times worse. When you suffocate to death, oh, is it painful. I cannot even begin to tell you. It's like being electrocuted. You feel it in your toes. You feel it in your fingertips. Your whole body screams, and there's no way that you're getting oxygen. This time, when I left, or my essence left, my wife actually witnessed it. She saw my essence drain from my body. This time when I floated, I floated past the ceiling, and I floated towards light. I don't recall a tunnel. I've had a lot of people tell me about, well, did you go through a tunnel? And and I said, listen, all I remember is the light. You cannot miss the light. The light is fantastic. It's beautiful. It's not like sunlight. It's white. And you notice how beautiful it feels just to be out of your body. I mean, you have no idea. Your body is just a shell. The real you is inside. I try to tell people all the time, go to a funeral. Go look at a, a corpse at a wake. 
You know the person isn't in there. It's just a shell that's left behind. The real person is still intact, and they're outside this body. And what you do is you float and you go at this tremendous speed, or I went at this tremendous speed, towards this light. When I got to a certain point after you passed the ceiling, when you get to a certain point, all pain was taken away. Every drop of pain I've ever had. I've had kidney stones, which are very, very painful. They gave me three shots of morphine. I still felt the kidney pain. It was dull, but I still felt it. I wasn't hallucinating. I wasn't, you know, uh, in another realm. I knew what I was experiencing, and I was experiencing pain. And it was dull pain, it was still pain. But this was totally different. I'm not experiencing any pain whatsoever. And I'm not only have those emotions of pain and whatever hurt gone away, but they've been replaced with wonderful, wonderful new emotions that don't exist down here on Earth that I've never felt before, never experienced before, never knew that anything like that was possible. And that that's what replaces it. And I'm heading towards this light, and I see this beautiful white light, and all of a sudden you get to a point, and the light splits. One of the lights was about the size of a man. The other light was, and that was a vertical light, and around it, it I could see all different dazzling colors. The other light was horizontal, and it was colored by this golden light in the background. It was like a beautiful, beautiful golden light. And then through the white light, it looked like flashes of lightning or something. And then as I got closer, it almost looked like a shepherd overlooking a bunch of sheep. And the closer I got, um, it, I realized that the being, okay, was one light, and he was to my left. And this being was this brilliant white light, and he had around him, uh, and it covered his entire body, a rainbow of colors. And I know who he was because he actually talked to me. Mm. The other beings that were in the other horizontal light ended up being people. And I was shocked when I saw them. They were all people. And you could make them out. They were beautifully, you know, white, but they were almost transparent, sort of like jellyfish. Surrounding their whole entire body was this golden light. Each one of them had one of these golden, like, like um, I would say it was like garland, like gold garland, but it was electricity light that would cover their body. They were all looking away from me. They'd turn around to see me, but then they were, had their eyes focused on this golden, beautiful golden light that was in the background, which I wondered, you know, what was going on. And this being that was to my left, who was Jesus, actually called me by name, and that totally freaked me out, and I was totally pleased to hear that he knew my name. And as the rainbow of colors surrounded him, they also came off of him in waves. And the waves would penetrate you. And each wave was alive with another emotion. And as it would hit you, it was like, oh, my God. I mean, you have no idea how wonderful this could possibly I mean, this was beyond anything that you could describe. Mm -hmm. And he tells me, uh, Mark, you're not done. You have to go back. I need you to do something. Mm -hmm. And I said, please, please, Lord, let me stay here. Please. And I begged him. I begged him to let me stay. And I understand why. Some people do not want to come back, do not want to be resuscitated. It is so beautiful. It is so much better than here. 
And I begged him to please, and he said, no, I need you to do something. He told me what he wanted me to do. Next thing I know, you can't argue with God. I'm finding myself being pulled back into my body. When you go back into your body, it hurts. And the next thing I know, I hear my wife screaming, and she's and her and the doctors are pounding on me. They're pounding on my chest. My wife's screaming, and if you die, you son of a so-and-so, I'll bring you back myself, and I'll kill you. Don't you <laughs> die. And the doctors and the nurses were screaming. The nurses were screaming for me not to die on their watch because they didn't want to do the paperwork. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, I'm definitely in Boston. And I'm... When I'm coming to, I'm asking for something to write, and I'm writing down DNR, do not resuscitate, let me die, please. I know it sounds crazy, but let me die. And I kept writing it over and over, and they kept telling me, no, we can't do that, we can't do that. And it it was a matter of, you know, I was struggling with them, they were struggling with me, they had to restrain me, because, you know, I was trying to, to get back where I was. It was fantastic. So, um, later on that night, uh, of course, they had to bring in a psychiatrist to sit there and, you know, because you're definitely not in your right mind if you want to go back there. And I wasn't in my right mind because uh, I wasn't thinking, that, gee, you know, maybe if you do commit suicide, you don't get to go back there. But um, I was thinking, I want to be there. That's where I wanted to be. I was in so much pain. I've lived a whole life of pain. I'm tired of the pain. And I really, really want to be there. So I told the psychiatrist, yeah, I promised. You know, nothing. I won't do anything. I won't be good. Take their strength off, and they did. And then later that night, when everybody left me alone, I figured the fastest way that I could go was to pull out those pick lines. One went directly to my heart, and I figured it would directly pump the blood right out, and I would pass quietly in my sleep. Well, son of a gun, if I pulled the thing out, next thing I know, blood stopped, didn't even start running, thing healed automatically, don't even have a scar. And I got real bummed out after that. So what I learned was that until your room's ready, you're not going anywhere. And until I did what he wanted me to do, mm-hmm. and that was to write this book. Well, you know, and you know, Mark, man for the job. I'm telling you, you you're on a mission with this. I, I, I want to make sure I everybody know. knows. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, let me let me just remind you that I'm here with Mark Lynch. You're hearing a true story. Um, the book that he has put together is Walk With Me. I also want to make sure that everybody listening has the opportunity to call in and chat with Mark. I know that I've been listening to his story, and I've read the book, and I love the part where his wife is screaming at him. And, and I know if you're like me, you've probably got more questions for him than I can even come up with. So I want to make sure that everybody out there has the number to call in. 877-876-5227, 877-876-5227, and we'll take your questions and comments uh, uh, live on air. I also want to direct you to the website where you can find out more about Mark, more about the book, which is walkwithmebook.com, walkwithmebook.com. And, you know, Mark, I want to ask you this question. I've got many questions, and when the calls come in, we'll pick them up. But, you know, you could have written any book possible, but you wrote a very different book, in my opinion. Right. You know, and the book that you wrote is not just about, I was at the stop sign, the car hit me, um, and then this is what happened. I mean, you actually take us on a journey of your life. 
Right. And and the journey of your life seems to be, at least in my opinion, it seems to be the perfect puzzle, right, with the last piece being your connection to the divine. Thank you. And so I I wanted to ask you about the the book and how you came to write it in this way. Okay. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't write the book for, for fame or for fortune. I didn't write it for that. I wrote it because that's what Jesus told me to do. Yeah. I thought he had the wrong guy for the job. Because <laughs> I know real estate, and when I went to college, uh, I was a CD student in English and English literature, and most of my reading was done with comic books. I don't really read that much, don't really enjoy it, but he directed me during the period of time that I was recuperating where I had to have been attached to this uh, insulin drip and so forth and it took me six or seven months at home just recuperating and you know daily visits with uh, visiting nurses and so forth during that time I sat there on the computer and mean God hashed it out and then after I got it all done I said okay look I did what you wanted me to do and you know the funny thing is is most people think you have to say all these holy things to, to talk to God but you don't I mean, it's just like me and you talking right now. You can talk to him like that, and he really does listen. And and it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And he's looking for the relationship. And he is real, and there's only one way into heaven, and that's through Jesus, and it's only through a relationship with him. And until you find that, you, you don't want to leave this earth. You do not want to leave this earth. I'm telling you. You don't realize how long eternity is, and you don't die. Your shell dies. That's the only thing. Okay, Darwin was nuts. Darwin didn't know anything about DNA. And Darwin theory doesn't work in reverse. Nobody can mate with an ape and get an ape man. It's not going to happen. And I'm sure it's been tried. Um, So I'm just doing what he told me to do. And and then after I wrote it, I said to him, okay, look, you want me to do this. Everybody's telling me I'm crazy. That you can't get a book published. I'm a nobody. How can you get a book published? You can self-publish. I don't have that kind of money. And, and, and all the people I know that try to publish books have rejection letters. I said, you know, if you want me to publish this, you, you guide me. And all it kept coming to my head was go to your computer, go to your computer. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I gotta go back to work. But I didn't realize that's how he talks to you. I go into my computer. On my webpage is a publisher's webpage with a phone number. And I said, how freaky is this? This is nuts. And I figured, I got nothing to lose. Why don't I call the number? You know, and maybe they can give me some pointers or just tell me to just, you know, buzz off or whatever. I said, but I got nothing to lose. I'll call them. So I call, talk to this girl. We go on and on. She wants to know, you know, why I'm calling. I told her that I wrote something. She told me I'm an author. I said, no, an author somebody that has something published. I'm a schmuck. I'm not an author. She says, well, did you write something? I said, yeah, I wrote something. She said, is it a manuscript? Yeah, it's a manuscript. And then I said, then she said, then you're an author. I said, oh, here we go. I said, okay, for your sake, I'm an author. And I told her what it was about. Next thing she did is she asked to put me on hold, asked if I'd speak to somebody else. I said, fine. Uh, another gentleman picked up the phone, started talking to me. Uh, he said he heard I was an author. I said, here we go again. I said, okay, for your sake, I'm an author. And you want to know about what I had written? That's why I talked to him for a little while. He asked me to step out in faith. He asked me two things. He said, I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you 
to step out in faith. And I said, funny that you put it that way. You know, are you being, you know, whatever you are? I said, why did you use that word? And I said, are you, uh, you know, uh, a religious person or something? And he said, yes, I am. I said, okay. And he says, and then I want you to pray about it, and I'm going to pray about it. I said, excuse me? Pray to who? Buddha or Muhammad? Who do you pray to? And he said, I pray to Jesus. And I said, so you're a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, well, I am too. I said, okay, I can do that. And he said, I don't want you to give out my email address, and I want you to forward your manuscript. I'm not going to promise you anything. He says, we roughly get 30,000 manuscripts a week. And out of all those manuscripts, we might publish one in a year. I said, oh, great. So what you're telling me is I got a million in one shot. And he said, well, I don't want to get your hopes up. I said, no problem. So I sent them to him. And then I figured, hey, within 30 days, this guy will probably read this thing. I'll get my dear John letter. Or he'll maybe possibly give me some tips. But instead, I get a contract about two inches thick two days later, an overnight mail. And they brought me to a, a whole different world that I've never had anything to do with and had no knowledge existed. And I got the thing published. Not only did they publish it, they published it worldwide. And then it went beyond that, and they went into audiobook. And they made me, and this was a good thing because I didn't want to do it because I figured I sound like Kermit the Frog. I said, you're talking about a guy that had an operation. His vocal cords are cemented to the side of his throat, and he just doesn't sound good. You want me to read a book? I said, gee, come on, will you? And they said, well, who else but you? So they set me up in a studio, and now it's an audio version. It just came out a few months ago. And I'm saying, okay, God, what's next? Next thing I know, I get connected by this um, publicist, and he's talking about putting me on radio interviews. And it just, the whole experience is like blowing me away. I'm, I'm sitting there saying, wait a minute, don't these people know I'm just an ordinary person? I'm nobody special. Okay, and if nobody special like me can find God, then anybody can. And anybody should be because we walk around, we worry about, oh, what were we going to do when we retire and how we're going to spend our last. Forget that. What are you going to do when you're going to go to the big retirement? Okay, <laughs> for the eternity. You've got to realize, you've got to sit there, wow, if you make it 120 years here on earth, where are you going to be for the next 120 or the next million and wouldn't it be smart, instead of getting life insurance here, to make sure you had it right when you go there and make sure that no matter what you believe, that what you believe is the best that you've gone and investigated to find out to be the truth? That's what I was, was counting on, and that's what I learned. Well, you and, know, Mark, let me ask you this question. I want to make sure everybody has the website, by the way. Okay. Um, and, and so that they can go there. I, I, I would imagine the book is available on Amazon and everywhere Amazon, else. Amazon, every place. Yeah, so I want to make sure everybody knows. The book is called uh, Walk, uh, Walk With Me. I'm here with Mark Lynch, my guest today. And I want to make sure everybody has a website. Great pictures on the website. Thank you. Uh, great pictures. I, I looked a lot better when I was younger. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you, though. Like, you've got the nice suit on here, and I think that's your wife. Yeah, it that better was my, be your yeah, wife. That's my wife. If oh, yeah. If it's not your wife, you oh, know, no, for she, sure she, she's going to kill you. She's a very jealous woman. you got to really watch, but she takes I can care. see it in her eyes, actually. Yes. Uh, but I want to tell everybody the website's walkwithmebook.com. Walkwithmebook.com. You can find out more about this. You know, Mark, one of the questions um, that I wanted to ask you is about, about the, the, the story, the journey. I mean... You know, it would be pretty easy, I think, for 
a lot of people to say, probably not anybody that listens to this show. Everybody is, like, probably cheering for you right now on this show. Yeah, I hope so. I would imagine, though, that there are a lot of people out there that would say, you're out of your mind. Yeah. You've got to be crazy. Sure. You, you must have been imagining this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. I, what do you, I don't even know what that would feel like if I had a profound experience like the one you had. And, well, you know, what did you, I mean, did your family think you were, like, cuckoo or what? No, because they lived it with me. Oh, because okay. they were part of that journey. So they, they knew yeah. everything that, you know, and, oh, okay. and there's so much documentation. Yeah. Um, you know, along with they, they get to look at my scars every day, which they don't want to look at. Well, i got to tell you, you're pretty crystal clear in the book. Yeah. I mean, but there's you, a lot of detail of your experience in the book. We, we, we hide a lot of the scars. Okay, mm-hmm. you could, there's a lot you can do with mirrors, I guess, you know, so. Yeah. And that, but they, they live with my friends, uh, and, uh, all the people that even wrote, uh, in the book, I mean, uh, there were a lot more people that, that, uh, you know, thank you, that, that asked me if they could go, and I just said, well, the publishers only give me so much room, but I really thank you for supporting me and everything that you've done. And it just, these people were there, they know. It's sort of like, okay, I could sit there and say, well, you know, President Kennedy wasn't assassinated. You know, uh, that was just an illusion that we saw on TV. The whole thing was fixed. Uh, they never really landed on the moon. It was done in a TV uh, studio. Okay, it was, it was imagination. It was an hallucination. Well, you know what? The guy that actually went there on the moon probably doesn't think so. And I'm sure the people that were in Texas at the time that actually witnessed whatever they witnessed when... Uh, John Kennedy was assassinated. They uh, didn't see any hallucination. They actually saw something real that happened. And I know the difference between an hallucination, being high, having a dream, and reality. And this was reality. And this was very real. And it's not only that. It's the circumstances afterwards and how things actually came into play and are even continuing in play that are can only be described as miraculous only can be described as divine intervention there's no way that a schmuck like me could even be sitting here and talking to you dr bat to be honest with you if it wasn't for god intervening Mm -hmm. through this whole thing so yeah they can i'm sure there's all kinds of people that you know would doubt i used to be one of those people i was one of those guys that i doubted everything and, you know, if I didn't see it, I didn't believe it. And the problem that I had was somebody confronted me one time and said, well, I bet you probably have a hard time with air then. I said, what are you talking about? Well, you can't see that. Do you believe that exists? And I said, ha-ha, very funny. So, you know, it's, that's the way it is. Well, and obviously, I mean, this is, is something that you were meant to do. Uh, I mean, it's not, I think most of us understand that we're, you know, I mean, let's stop, let's back up for a minute and, and let's just talk a little bit about the pop culture. You know, when we look at television, when we look at uh, movies, I mean, it's clear that there must be a large group of people, millions of people, that believe in, in some form of afterlife or, first of all, we wouldn't have the the movie industry, the television industry, spending this kind of money. And secondly, why would they be spending this kind of money if people weren't watching it? Exactly. You know, so we have a lot of information mm-hmm. about people. And I, and I think we know that there have been polls that have been taken about 
you know, the, the, the large percentages of people. But there's still people that say that they're not sure what's going to happen or that they don't believe in it. And, and, and you know, Mark, these people have existed from the beginning of time. Sure they have. Does it, you know, in a, and to be honest with you, Pat, it, it's sad, okay? I, um, I just met a woman uh, about last week, and, and, uh, and she's an elderly woman, and her husband just, she had, he just passed away. And they don't believe anything that, you know, at the end, uh, you just die, and that's it. And she had her husband cremated, put in a vase, and sprinkled on the lawn. And that's it. And the scary, scary part of it all is what these people don't realize is everybody that lives has a choice mm -hmm. to believe or not to believe. And the ones that choose not to believe are not going to be happy when it doesn't work out the way that they think it's going to work out now. Because, I'll be honest with you, I've been there. I know exactly how you felt. I didn't believe either. And I was dead wrong. And I, if I could shake you, wake you, do whatever I could to change your mind, and I know I can't. And there's nothing that can force feed anything into anybody. You're going to have to believe it on your own. But if you're so sure that you're right, make sure you're dead sure because you're going to be dead for a long time and you're not going to be happy where you're going to end up. There is someplace else other than heaven, other than paradise. In fact, where I was wasn't heaven. It was paradise. What the golden light was, was heaven. The people that get to wait for, and that's what they were looking at, and I didn't understand. And when they die, you go in, in a couple of different places. Either you get to go to this place called paradise, and that's what Jesus said on the cross when he died to the thief that was on, his, on one of his side. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say heaven. And I know exactly what he was talking about. It's like a waiting area outside a fancy restaurant, I mean a fancy wedding, where you have drinks and share pleasantries with, with people before you go into the major wedding feast or the main hall, the main function hall and eat the feast. And that's where these people were. And if paradise was the best I could get for an eternity, it's good enough for me. I don't even have to go. I couldn't, can't even imagine what heaven's like if, if this was just... Uh, 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 an appetizer. This was unbelievable. So, and uh, if if I could get, I don't want to see anybody, anybody. I hate. I told you so. It's not going to give me any satisfaction. But I'd love to see everybody make it to that point, and everybody can, and everybody has the choice. But you got to find it on your own. It can't be force fed. You got to find Jesus and have the relationship while you can. It's not impossible. He may be invisible, but if you're really, really sincere and you really want to try, you can really find him on your own, just like I did, because I didn't believe. You know, uh, Mark, I mean, this is this has been a great conversation with you, and and um, and certainly, I mean, there's lots to, to read about in the book, and you talk about, um, it, there, there really is a journey. I mean, we get to know you. At a really intimate level, at a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, everybody can see what a jerk I am. Yeah, <laughs> I can. Well, I mean, I lay it out there, and I, and I show everybody that look, I'm, I am very human. Okay, just like everybody else, I make just. As, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. 
I I mess up just like everybody else. And if a, a schmuck like me uh, can find, you know, find this and end up here, you can do it too. You can do it too. And that's all I want to do. I want to give people hope and encouragement. Yeah, you don't just die. You don't just get, you know, eaten by worms. I mean, that part stays here. You don't even feel it. The the real you goes someplace else. You the real you is an energy force, an energy field. And scientists know it can't energy can't be created, destroyed. It's a scientific fact. That energy field goes somewhere. It stays intact. And yeah. if I could stress it, I I, I just you know, mm-hmm. and get people to just to just to actually seek it out. Look look for your full retirement, not when you're 65. Look for the big one. You know, Mark, um, there are questions that uh, that I have that are not in the book, but there are questions that I think many people, you know, would ask someone like yourself that has been through this. Okay. And it has to do, at least from my perspective, when I think of God, when I think of God, you know, it is true in my perspective, regardless of what religious um, 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 principles yeah. I follow. Mm-hmm. But when when I think of God, and, and maybe it comes from my my grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the word love comes next to that for exactly. me. Exactly. You know, you know what I'm exactly. saying. They're synonymous. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what he is. Right. Right. And that's, and, that's you know, him what, in a nutshell. Exactly. If I, you know, regardless of whether I see God as a him or a powerful woman, right. <laughs> male voice, okay. whatever. You know, first of all, let's be really clear about this, Martin. Okay. You know, the whole, you know, we're the people here making up the whole male, female, whatever. You know, it's us. I, God, I'm sure God doesn't care about time either. About who? About time. No, you know, no, I don't think God wears a rich wristwatch. Maybe no, that should be the title of your next book. There is no such thing as time. Exactly. Okay. And so when we look at love, Mm-hmm. You know, and you go through the experience that you've just gone through. Yes. Uh, what What is it we say t- today to people uh, on this 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 separation we have at so many levels? And 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 honestly, I mean, wouldn't this be an incredibly wonderful place if we yeah. could stand up and start to forgive? Well, exactly. In fact, I even like. Uh, even the denominations of the different religions and whatever, and the split, and the, even, you know, the differences are so stupid. And if they would only really check things out and really look at what's really important. And now you mentioned love. Okay, that is the most important thing. That's, that, that's it in a nutshell. A relationship and love. I mean, that's what God's all about. It's about that, about family, about, you know, and this is the way it is. And, hey, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, all right? That means that, you know, don't do something that, to somebody that you wouldn't want done to yourself. And show kindness, show all this stuff, show mercy, show all this stuff. You get that, and you're not far from making it to where I was. And that's basically what it's all about. And he's trying to get that through, and... I know there's a lot of numbskulls down here. And I don't know how to get through and I like I told him. I said, I'm not you God. So I can't I can't do it. I wish, you know, people were a lot different and I wish they they, you know, could just find this. But they can't. They're too busy playing with toys or doing whatever they're gonna do. Well, you certainly um, and I wanna thank you, Mark, um 
um, for for joining us here today. No, uh, thank you, Pat, for even uh, having me. Uh, it's uh, you know it's uh, regardless, and I say this uh, to my listeners because we we do live in a diverse world. There are many different opin- opinions about yeah. religion, and, mm-hmm. and, and I also uh, I want to point out that if you read Mark's book, when you read Mark's book, you'll see that he has his own journey in discovering and his own research process in discovering uh, what he has put in this book. And so I think the point here, Mark, regardless of where we come from, at least what I walk away from with the book, and you know, I can just feel it in your energy, is that we do have time to stop, number one, and get back to that place where our hearts are filled with love and not crusted over with the resentment of what we've come to know in this lifetime. Exactly. And I think when I... A lot of people like that. Exactly. And so, you know, you're right. I mean, I read your book, and I get that you're an average guy, so Mm -hmm. to speak, and yet an extraordinary average guy. Thank you. And, And that's what this is about, for sure. I mean, every one of us has the potential to really step in to that place of knowing that bliss really from within. Yes, it does. And that's what you're walking this, this, right now, you're walking and talking that sense of that feeling, I believe. Exactly, exactly. What I try to tell people is, look, you're the reason you're here. There's a reason. You're important. Everything is interconnected. You are interconnected. What you do affects something or someone else. And you may not think so, but you will find out in the end. And what you do is important. I think that's a perfect way to end the show. What a powerful sentence and a statement to make for everyone out there. You know, you and I know what it's like to be down on our luck, so to speak, and for you to be leaving that personal message um, on the show tonight uh, about uh, the value of every single person listening and really looking beyond our circumstances is extraordinary. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining no, the show thank today. Thank you again, Pat. Thank you. Take wow. Um, and say, your wife sounds like somebody I want to meet, boy. <laughs> and, you know, I bet she's taking part of the credit for you, like, waking up out of that. Oh, yeah. She, <laughs> she watches me like a hawk. She's right on my side. She's a good woman. She's wow. a good woman. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, the website is walkwithmebook.com. It's available everywhere. The author is Mark Lynch. My guest today on the Dr. Pat Show, uh, you can find out lots of information about the book from the website. Uh, you'll be able to uh, explore questions of where do you go when you die? Uh, is there, you know, what is this about for us as humans? Uh, what the true story is from um, the perspective and the life of, of Mark Lynch, someone who has in this world, uh, left this world, and has come back and knows clearly what his passions are. And so for many of us uh, that explore this or contemplate this, whether we do it consciously or not, somewhere in our minds we're thinking about death. Uh, If you're not exploring it consciously in the back of your mind, you certainly are faced with it every day on television, every pharmaceutical ad that you get, uh, every question about your health and your well-being, every conversation about aging, whether you consider it a conversation of death, it's up there and in front of us. And so for those of you that uh, want to find out more about what Mark's experience has been like, please check it out. Go to the website, walkwithmebook.com. For if you've missed any part of this conversation that I've had with Mark, you're certainly welcome to listen to it again on the archives 
And again, um, many thanks to Mark and his family and his friends and to all of you for tuning in to the Dr. Pat Show. If you want to find out more about us and some of the really cool things we're doing, go to our website, www.thedrpatshow.com, T-H-E-D-R, patshow.com, and check it out for yourself. I hope you heard something tonight that will gives you hope, that opens up your heart just a little bit more for inspiration and love. And until next week, I'm praying and hoping for everyone out there in whatever way you find to get a closer relationship with your spiritual basis. And more importantly, come to that place to love yourself. You know what? There's only one of you. Until next week, this is your host, Dr. Pat Basui. We'll see you right back here, same time, same channel, new topic, but the same old me. We'll see you then. Have a great evening. God bless, Dr. Pat. Thank you.